I'm going to read from uh, John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had already drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, we're beginning seven weeks of miracles today because there are seven miracles of Jesus as we find in the Gospel of John. Seven of them. Today, the first, water into wine. Now, I don't know about you, but that water into wine one has always struck me as very strange. Why make that your first miracle, water into wine? It's not like we're healing somebody who can't walk, somebody who can't see, helping them to see, uh, a sick child, Lazarus raised from the dead. Why make this one your first one? It's just so odd. Why didn't you start with number seven and make that number one, the raising of Lazarus from the dead? That would seem to make a lot of sense to me. It's almost like, okay, that's nice. Thank you for making all that wine. Let's move on to something important. But what I want to suggest to you today is nothing is random in the Bible, and this is the first miracle because it is actually the most important miracle of all. And it's something that relates to our lives. Like, all of them relate. So we understand Lazarus raising the devil. Oh, man, that's good. And I can see how there's some relationship to my life. But I think we might be able to see how the water into wine has a greater and stronger relationship and connection to you and I here in Washington, D.C., in April of 2013, than any other miracle. That's how real it is to us. Something else that's odd about it. He chooses to do this miracle the first of his miracles. There's only seven in John. He chooses to do his first miracle at a major party. At a major party. Now, some of you have been to weddings, and you've been to some weddings that are like really throw-down parties. Well, their parties, their weddings back then, major league. Like the whole city would come out Huge party for seven days. Seven days. You ever been to a party that lasted seven days? Don't raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Just major throw down. And sometimes it even extended beyond the city. It was like a regional party and everybody's, whoa, just going for it. Everybody having a good time. Doesn't it strike you odd that Jesus does his first miracle at a major league party? Like, isn't going to church supposed to be boring? Isn't that like the prerequisite to get into heaven? Don't don't we have to put up with, you know, it's boring to be a Christian, but that's just what you have to deal with with in order to get to heaven. So tough. And he does it. He does it at a party. I always think when I read this miracle, water and wine, I always think about the little boy walking out of church with his father and coming out. They get out of the sanctuary, and they're standing in the hallway, and the little boy sees all those plaques up on the wall, the little brass plate with a name on it. He says, hey, Dad, what are all those names? And the dad says, those those are all the people who died in service. And the little boy says, was that the 9.30, the 11 o'clock service they died in? (laughs) Isn't that the way, isn't that the way the church is supposed to be? And yet, and yet, party, 
miracle, first miracle at a major party. What does that say? What are we supposed to take from that? What does that mean to us? We got a bunch of party people here, right? Our, our women to women ministry, they're getting ready to do a huge party, right? So anybody who's into the new wine, which we're going to learn about today, is into a celebration, into a party. And so our women, they're getting ready to do something called GNO, Girls Night Out. It's called Pajamas and Loungewear. Loungewear. I'm selling tickets to any guys. You can hide out in the back. <laughs> hide out in the baptistry. Just see what is, what is with the... Yes. So they'll hand you things on, on the way out here. Look, God's been preparing us. God's been preparing us for this party for a long time, like hundreds and hundreds of years before he changes the water into wine. This preparation. Amos chapter 9. God says, new wine's going to drip from the mountains. So it's not like a party broke out and like, hey, why is the party breaking out? No, no, no. God says, I'm telling you, the party's coming. Major league party. All right. What does wine represent? This is so important to figure out. What in the world does wine, biblically speaking, represent? It represents life. It represents joy. It represents a celebration. But most importantly, everybody, it is symbolic of and represents the presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So on the back of your bulletin, if you'd like to write something down, that's a really important one. Wine represents the Holy Spirit. Transformation. We're talking about transformation today. So you were given a lemon when you came in, and you're going to get an opportunity on your way out to turn a lemon into lemonade, right? So we're talking about, and here's everybody, here's where the transformation begins. It begins with God. It begins with his presence. It begins with new wine. It begins with his spirit filling my life. And that's why it's the most important miracle of all, because that relates to every single one of us in this room. We need the new wine. The Bible says, psalmist writes, Psalm 16 says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. How many of us would say, yo, man, I could use some of that fullness of joy? Well, it says you can find the fullness of joy in the presence of God. There's other verses about uh, the Holy Spirit, about life, about joy. John the Baptist says that Jesus Christ is going to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. Like we could swim in the presence of God. Why do you, you know, when John the Baptist said that, everybody, people were like, what? How does that make sense? You know why? Because in the Old Testament, like when the Israelites, when they leave Egypt, when they're, when they're no longer slaves and they go out into the desert, there's this huge mountain and God's presence comes down on the mountain. And then they said they were so afraid from a holy God that they wouldn't even put their foot on the bottom of the mountain. That's how much they're afraid of it. They wouldn't put their foot on the bottom of the mountain. And here John the Baptist is saying, not only are you going to step foot on the mountain, but you're going to be immersed in the presence that came down on the mountain. And they're like, that, that would take a miracle. How could, because the closer we get to a holy God, we realize, oh, wow, man, I guess I really am unholy. Like we think we're really good until we get around God who's really holy. And all of a sudden, and that's the way they felt. How in the world could that happen? And God says, we can be immersed in God's presence. Well, Jesus says, that is the spirit that gives us life. Jesus tells this thing in the scriptures, which people, what does that mean? He says, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the new wine. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And this is something we desperately need. One more thing. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church. Jesus ascends to heaven, says, go into this upper room and pray. And says, they're all praying. And the Holy Spirit just fills their life. Just whoosh. They're just immersed in the presence of God. It's absolutely incredible. And you know what people said? Let's read it. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, 4. And some, verse 13, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Why is that interesting? Because they're not peering in their windows because the streets were crowded with people because it's Passover. They're not peering in the windows and these people are full of the Spirit. And they say, oh my gosh, look, 
all those followers of Jesus, a funeral has just broke out in there. They said, they looked inside the window and said, oh my God, they're having a party. They're full of the Spirit and there's joy, there's happiness. Does that characterize your life? We want it to. We want to be full of new wine. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit of God. One last verse, Ephesians 5.18, very important. Don't be drunk with wine because that's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the new wine. Now, Jesus' mother says something very ominous in John chapter. Very ominous. She says, the wine has run out. The joy from this wedding is gone. How how would you like to begin uh, your wedding that day, you know, and it's supposed to be all this joy, and here you are, and like on day one, all the joy is gone. It's not a good thing. All the life is gone. Like, they're having a party, but the life, you ever heard that phrase before? The life of the party is gone. Well, the life of the party is absolutely gone. It's left because the wine has run out. You know what's interesting? They had everything. Everything there looked like it should have been a party. They had a bride. They had a groom. They had people. They had a wedding officiant. They had the cake. They had all the ingredients of a party except for one thing. There was no party going on. Does that make sense in your life? Some of us in this room are very successful. The success actually kind of, it, 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 it confuses us. You know, I have all the trappings of success. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm doing well with my money. I'm doing well in my job. And, you know, the world told me if I did all these things, I would have the new wine to be flowing. I have all the ingredients of new wine. There's only one problem. Oh, my gosh, I have no new wine. I should be happy. What's wrong with me? I should be more happy than I am. And yet I feel, I hear this all the time from Washingtonians achieved all kinds of success and say, but you know what? I don't feel like, to be honest with you, that I'm filled with any wine. I don't feel like I have joy. What is my purpose in life? Is there any purpose? I hear this all the time. We can have all the ingredients of the wedding banquet and yet lack the new wine, the joy, which is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives. Write this down, if you will. This is very important to this whole discussion on being filled with the Spirit of God, being filled with new wine. Don't be a wine maker. Don't be a wine maker. That's our natural instinct is to be a wine maker. Instead, be a wine taker. We are inclined to be wine makers. That's our instincts. Very unique thing about this miracle, very odd thing about this miracle, everybody. Every single miracle that Jesus does in the Gospel of John is wrapped around a teaching. Raises Lazarus from the dead, heals a, heals a boy or somebody who cannot walk or blind man, whatever. It's wrapped around a teaching. Here's what you need to know. Here's how it makes sense in your life. Here's what you need to do. Except for this. It's not wrapped around a teaching. There's no like, okay, made a bunch of wine. Now let me tell you how to make wine for yourself. Instead, what you see in this story is you see an ask, and then what's really pointed out is six stone water pots. Now, they were a little larger than what we have right here. The reason we have this outside, you probably heard the story of the spiel when you came in. We help a, an, uh, an orphanage down in Mexico. We also help a family who's adopted a bunch of, a bunch of kids in Brazil, and so we're selling this to benefit, benefit them. But we thought, well, let's use this today. So when they walked into that wedding, they saw these six stone pots, and they were filled with water. And what they would do is they had to get clean before God, right? If I just clean my act up, the wine of God, the spirit of God is going to flow through my life. If I just clean myself up, get all the dirt out of my life, right? Get all the sin out of my life. The wine of God is going to flow in my life. It's not going to work. 
We're inclined to say, let me get all scrubbed up and I'll just somehow, I can control the flow of wine in my own life. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God is not calling us to be winemakers, to somehow conjure up the presence of God in our lives by all the wonderful things that we do. We can't wash ourselves enough to make God's presence be there. We have to be wine takers, not wine makers. So it points out, there are six stone water jars there, but they're not doing the trick for them. They're not making the wine. I want to tell you three important things in this message, just really briefly, about Ephesians 5.18. It's very important. This word here, when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is a Greek word. The word be filled is one Greek word, and it means three very, very important things. It's the Greek word palero, and it is a command, it is continuous, and it is passive. It is a command, it is continuous, and it is passive. Three important things. How we can be filled with the Spirit of God. First of all, this needs to be a priority in our lives. The seeking to be filled with the Spirit of God. It is a command. Romans chapter 7 and 8. You know, people read the book of Romans. The book of Romans is an awesome book. It's the most deeply systematic theological book that we have in all of the Bible. And we read it like a book of theology. And we get up to chapters 2, 3, and 4. And we start falling asleep. Because we say, what in the world does this mean? It's like reading a legal briefing here or something. It's, it's strange. But all of a sudden you hit chapter 7 you're like, oh. Oh, whoa, I get it. This is awesome. All of a sudden, it's highly practical because Paul says in the second half of Romans 7, he says, there's all these things that I want to do and I don't do any of them. And there's all these things over here I don't want any part of and I just do them all the time. And we're like, I can understand that. That's me. I got that. That makes sense. And then he begins chapter 8 by saying, but I got set free from all that. Now I find myself doing God's will, doing the things that I want to do, and I'm stopping doing the things I don't want to do. What's the difference in between? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Here's what you need to know. We're out. We're trying to get ourselves washed up, try to be all godly and holy and spiritual, do the things the Bible tells us, follow all God's commands, and then all of a sudden we're going to conjure up the Holy Spirit. It's not working. Cleaning, 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 scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing. It's not working. Instead, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We can't obey any of the commands of God until we have obeyed this command to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want to read you something from a a New Testament scholar that I read just this past week. I found it very helpful. Speaking about being filled with the Spirit, this is what he says. If we do not obey this command to be filled with the Spirit of God, we cannot obey any other command simply because we cannot do any of God's will apart from God's Spirit. thing that we fall into so because it's such a strong instinct in us or such a human nature for us to be wine makers is we just you know we start out a lot of times in our relationship with god our relationship with the holy spirit god's presence you know like oh man this is awesome eventually like hey god i got this i can clean my own act up and then everything just goes straight down the tubes we can't follow any command until we follow this command to be filled with god's spirit outside listen to this this is really good Outside of the command for unbelievers to trust Christ for salvation, there is, here's the part, there is no more practical and necessary command in Scripture than the one for the believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God to be filling our lives, this constant thirst. That's the first thing. It is a command. No other command can be followed until that command is followed. Second thing I want to tell you is this. It is continuous. This word, palero, 
in the Bible means I'm continuously seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. It is a priority that I never stop asking. I never stop seeking. I never stop thirsting. I never stop requesting. Jesus says, Luke chapter 11. And so I tell you, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And here it comes. Your heavenly Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We keep asking. We keep seeking. We find ourselves filled not because we have cleaned our act up. We find ourselves filled with the Spirit of God because we have become thirsty. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, who is filled? Those who hunger and thirst. Those are the ones who are filled, not the morally upright. This is why in the Bible it says the pimps and the prostitutes get into heaven before the Pharisees do, before the good people. Why? Because the good people, the morally upright people over here, they're not thirsty anymore. But these people over here know how thirsty they are. And because of their thirst, they get in. The book of Revelation says the same thing. It's a thirsty who drinks. Stay thirsty, my friends, right? (laughs) The most interesting man in the world has the answer for everything. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty. And when we get morally upright and we think washing is the answer, we don't need God anymore. We got that covered. We must, we must We must stay thirsty. We must keep requesting. When you leave here, you're going to walk outside and you're going to have an opportunity to make lemonade. And what you're going to be shocked by is how much sugar you have to put in that lemon to make it sweet. You think, well, this has got to be enough. No, it's not. This has got to be enough. No, it's not. This has got to be enough. No, it's not. And you I have to keep doing this over and over. You're exactly right. The same thing with the Holy Spirit. You must keep requesting. Is that a priority in your life? You wake up in the morning, Holy Spirit, fill my life. Because you can't do anything. You can't find any purpose. You can't fulfill any of God's commands. That's the Holy Spirit. Do you, like 10 minutes later, do you say, Holy Spirit, fill my life? Do you do that all day long? If you did it 20 times, you didn't do it enough. If you did it 30 times, you didn't do it enough. It's a continuous process that never stops. That's what the word means. We never stop seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's serious business. Look, Jesus makes all this wine, which is symbolic of his presence, of his life, of his joy. And we think by human nature that we can become winemakers and I will solve my own problem. Just tell me how to make the wine. Give me steps one through ten for making a really great wine. You can go on. You, I googled it. You can go on. There's all recipes out there how you can make wine. Even watch this person who got up on and like did I love Lucy type thing. It, and it was it was a news thing, and she was up crushing the wine and all that. She actually fell off and got hurt. I watched all kinds of stuff about making wine. You can do that. That's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is not to be a wine maker. We're drawn to that. We have wineries all over Virginia where you can go and say, oh, man, these guys are so awesome. Taste, wine tastes great. It's awesome. These guys are great. at man. We are drawn to people who are great at doing something, right? So when somebody's great at art or somebody's great at business, somebody's great at doing, we go, or sports, we go and we applaud. We say, that's awesome. You did great because we're drawn to that. How, how many, how, are we drawn to people who are world-class askers of stuff? No, we're not. We don't like that. We're offended by that. You ever been to dinner with somebody who like, man, you just want to get under the table because they're asking for the moon. It's just like, oh my gosh, would you just shut up? If I ever get out of here, I'll never go to eat with this person again because they're just, right? Those of you who are laughing have been there. Those of you who are not laughing, you're the people who are doing the asking. 
okay? Right? But we don't, we're, it's, it's embarrassing, it's humbling. We don't want to be an asker. Mary asked. That's the only thing she did. She didn't make any wine that day. She asked, they're out of wine. Jesus, can you do something? We need wine. Wine's gone. Wine's gone. We have to ask for the wine over and over and over again. Look what it says, 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, now we already know that being filled with the Spirit is according to his will because he commanded us, right? So we got that down. He hears us, and we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. Anybody read that book, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell? Anybody read that book? Five of you have read the book. I haven't read the book either, but I've read so much about the book as if I have read the book. Here's this deal. Here's this deal. Let me tell you real quick. He went through all kinds of people's lives who were highly, highly successful in this world, and he tried to figure out why are they so successful. And here's what he found out. They started early, and they started often to master something, right? So like Gates with the computer, he got started really early. Like when other people didn't even have a chance to touch a computer, he happened to be in a certain place where he could get his hands on a computer. And he, he looked at all kinds of people's lives and he said this, once you spend 10,000 hours focused on something, once you spent that, you can master that thing. So there's an article in Time Magazine just recently about a guy, he never played golf in his life. He's never played golf in his life, never picked up a club in his life. He decided like age 30, all right, I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to spend 10,000 hours focused. I'm going to quit my job, and that's all I'm going to do is play golf. He's up to 4,000 hours right now. He's already like a two or three handicap. For those of you who don't know what that means, he's a very good golfer <laughs> in a very short amount of time. You can master something by spending 10,000 hours. That he went, well, here's the thing with the Holy Spirit. If you'll start early and you'll start often every day of your life, you can be filled with the Spirit of God. If you'll focus on it, that's what Palero means. Are you willing to focus on it? We're out here and we're trying so hard to find purpose in our life. We're out here, we're trying so hard to get ourselves clean. We're trying so hard to follow the commands of God. We're successful at work, but we don't feel any new wine. We're successful in our personal life, we don't feel any new wine. We're successful in our marriage, but we don't feel any new wine. Some of you are saying right now, hey, John, man, I'm just, I'm like, I'm tickled to death with the money that I have. I'm tickled to death with my marriage. Give it time. <laughs> Give it time. It'll all run out. That's the truth. That's very pessimistic. I'm very sorry, particularly for you newlyweds. I'm very sorry to say that. <laughs> and I love my wife, but... Uh, the wine eventually runs out. Okay. And you need, you need, you need new wine. You need to seek it. You need to seek it. There's a couple practical things about Polaro. I just want to say, here's, here's the thing. The word Polaro was used for when wind would fill the sails of a ship. How in the world can you go? How in the world can you hope to go? So many people say this. I'm just looking for purpose. I just wonder, if God would just tell me his will, I would just do it. I just feel like I'm lost. I'm successful in my career. I'm success. I got a lot of friends, all this stuff. But I just feel like, what am I doing in this world? What am I doing? I talk to so many Washingtonians that feel that. Feel that. Look, 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 listen. How can we begin? How can we even begin to go in God's direction unless the wind of the Spirit is filling our sails? You are hopeless. I am hopeless to head in the direction of God unless that has happened. Another use of the word polero is when something is controlled, completely dominated by. I had this idea because one of the ways that you can use it is like a glove. Like, 
Like this glove, right? This is glove is going to go out and do God's will. This glove isn't going to do nothing. This is like us, right? And we hope to do like, go, do God's will. And it just falls flat. And we feel like that. Just, I want to live a life for God. I want to live a life of joy and purpose. It falls flat. But what we need, what we need to have is we need to put a hand. That's God. That's the presence of God inside a glove. And so I thought, wow, now I'll just put my, I guess some of these gloves. My, and then when I put it on yesterday, after I was totally committed to doing this, I put that thing up. I thought, oh, man, that doesn't look good. It reminds me of some kind of examination, which we don't want to talk about. You know what I'm saying? But this, this, you know, it's got to be controlled. Is this you? Is this you? Is it me? Right? Am I controlled? This glove has no chance at life or joy unless there's a hand in it. We have to be filled with the presence of God. If not, we're empty. One last thing. So it is a command. It's continuous. Now it's passive. It's a passive thing. It's not something that I do. I don't go out and make wine. It's passive. It's something that I receive. It's something that I request to fill my life. Am I going to allow my life to be filled? Look at this. Genesis chapter 2. Look how the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now look what Jesus does. After Jesus rises from the dead, he goes to his disciples in John chapter 20 and says this. Jesus breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. I love the story of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is an awesome book. If you really understand what's going on there, and it talks about transformation, particularly in Ezekiel 37. So Ezekiel has this vision of this whole valley that's filled with nothing but dry bones. All these bones deadness, surrounded by deadness. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, there's a transformation and all those dead bones stand up and now they have flesh and life flowing in them. And what is the difference? The difference is the breath of God, Ezekiel 37. This is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. I'm thinking, how many of us this morning? Our life is going great, but we feel dead. Many of us won't tell other people that because they're thinking, we're embarrassed. I mean, Gosh, my life is going so well in comparison to other people. How could I even tell people that I feel dead on the inside? We, we need God to breathe life into us, into our dead bones. Or some of us are here this morning. We're like, we will never get over some monster that's in our life. or We'll never get past the wounds of our past. There's something hopeless in our lives that will never get past. Will we ever live again? And here's the thing that we need to know. As hopeless as you feel, it is possible for the Spirit of God, for God to breathe life into your very hopeless situation, your dead bones, and so that you live again. It's completely possible. It's not possible by your efforts. It's not possible that you go out and you become this great winemaker. And you make it happen for yourself. But if you get the sequencing of this thing right, if you seek that the Spirit of God would fill you, He can breathe life into you. He doesn't give us a recipe for making wine. He says, be a wine taker. Ask and never stop asking that it would fill you. So in conclusion, three things. Here are how it goes, right? Step one. Step number one, ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Because we're told in the Bible, when you do that, his spirit comes in you. Step number two, extremely important. Step number two, never stop asking for new wine. How many of us this morning, man, we just need new wine. I talk to people about this all the time. And they're like, me, I do. 
How's your life going? Man, my life is going great, but I tell you what, I need some new wine. Never, ever stop asking. Stay thirsty. Stay thirsty, friends. Stay thirsty for the new wine. Finally, the lemons. Why did we give you a lemon? Here's the reason we gave you a lemon. Lemons are very, very sour. They're extremely sour, aren't they? Here's what happens. Here, let me tell you how it happens. You receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You're asking for new wine to fill you. Now, here comes the Holy Spirit described like a sweet wine coming into your life. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move and begins to fill your life, Holy Spirit comes across things that are sour in your life. Oh, this is the way it's supposed to work, is that we request the Spirit to fill our lives, and the Holy Spirit shows us some things that are sour and says, okay, you're going to have to do something with that. It's not necessarily supposed to work this way that other people come around you and say, hey, you're a sinner and you get rid of this in your life. That's religion. The way this is designed to work biblically is that we all allow the Holy Spirit into our lives by requesting the Spirit and the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us about getting the sour things out of our lives. But if we say, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, you know what, I want you to fill me, but I got a death grip on this sour thing. I got a de- I'm not letting this lemon go. Then there's a problem. If you look at the sides, look at these rails. This is all from the first service. See all those lemons? Those are all people who walked over to the prayer wall. The guys were on this side and the ladies were on this side. And as a symbolic act, they said, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to let the lemon go. I'm ready to let that sour thing go. Because it's standing in the way of the sweet new wine of the Holy Spirit to fill my life. And I want hope and I want life. And I want joy again. I'm ready to let it go. For some of us, I mean, it could just be stuff like hurts and wounds from the past that we're bitter over and we need to let it go. We've got a death grip on it. We need to be forgiving. We need to be less selfish. Maybe we need to watch the words that we speak. Maybe we struggle with pride. Maybe we struggle with pornography. Maybe it's something in our marriage or something in our personal life or something, whatever it might be. There's some sour thing in our life that the Holy Spirit, some sin that's there, the Spirit's going to come along and say, you know what? I love you. And I really want you to let that sour thing go. So I'll tell you the same thing that I told the uh, first service. We got a bunch of guys from the prayer team on this side. We got a bunch of ladies from the prayer team on this side. And it is a symbolic act. When you go over to be prayed for today, you say, hey, look. And there's nothing more important that you could do today other than asking Christ to be the Savior of your life. There's only one other thing on its heels after that. And that is the seeking of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the joy. When you go to the prayer wall today... You're simply saying, I'm thirsty. I need new wine. I want to be filled with new wine. And we're going to pray for you for that one thing, for filling a new wine. And as a symbolic act, if you have a lemon, you have something you want to get rid of, like all these people that you see, all those lemons line up there, we're asking you to give that to the prayer team member. As a symbolic act, God, take that sour thing away. Take it away. I'm tired of dealing with deadness and hopelessness and lifelessness. I'm ready for some new wine to flow in me. God wants to give it to us. Do we want to ask of it? Are we thirsty, friends? Are we thirsty for new wine to fill our lives? Music team's going to come. They have a very special song to conclude with today and a video that goes with it. So they're just going to come on up, and I'm going I'm to say a prayer. And either during the song or after the song, you are more than welcome. There is nothing more important that you can do than the seeking of the filling of the Holy Spirit and releasing of whatever might be sour in your life and allow the sweet wine of God to fill you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that God, you tell us, you promise us, I will fill you with sweet new wine. 
I will help you to pry your fingers that have a death grip on that lemon. I will help you, gently help you to get your fingers from unwrapped around that lemon and to release that sour thing to me. And that God, you very patiently and very lovingly and very kindly will come to us and fill us with your presence, fill us with your life and your joy. And just let us be permeated, God, with that new wine. God, help us. Help us today to stay thirsty. To stay thirsty for you. We can't make wine. Father, all we can do is take it. All we can do is take it. Help us to be wine takers to the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, in your holy name. Amen.